You are listening to the Venture Scale SaaS Operator, the podcast where we interview founders who are actually in the trenches. We talk about the transparent journey of how they build their SaaS companies, how they grow them, and what they would do differently if they would do it all over. Hey folks, with us today, Basker, co-founder of EDRV. Super happy to have you on. Lovely to be here, Nicholas. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the most important thing. What does your startup do and who is it for? Sure. Uh, so EDRV or eDrive, uh, we are an enterprise SaaS software. Um, our customers are mainly infrastructure companies that are either providing charging as a service to electric vehicle drivers uh, or uh, operators of electric vehicle fleets who want to use our platform to run their charging operations. So it's uh, basically a SaaS platform that enables charging operations, which means connecting and controlling of charging equipment, hardware, the energy that flows through them, the transactions that are processed, either on the monetary side or also just for captive use. Um, yeah, we were a company founded about three years ago in Amsterdam. Uh, we moved to the US uh, two years ago. And yeah, we're very excited to be working with customers on both, uh, both sides of uh, the pond. How did you make the decision to move the company to the US? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. Uh, so maybe a little bit of uh, backstory there. Uh, so when we were starting um, the company in 2020, just uh, around the time of the pandemic, we realized that most of the European countries, Netherlands included, were quite far down the road of electrification. And, and then instead uh, of using our innovation chips to try and catch up, with where the market was, we decided to focus early on on the US market, which was at least a couple of years behind Europe at that point, and just so that we could we could build for a market and then you did not have to spend most of our energies trying to do something which customers already expected and could also innovate more. Um, but when we started fundraising, we kind of realized that our customer, uh, sorry, investors always asked the question, well, you're a Dutch company, but your customers are in the US, so why don't you raise money in the US? But then when we went to American investors, they said, oh, but you're a Dutch company, so why don't you raise money in, in, in Europe? So in a nutshell, we realized that the best way was for us to present a uniform face. So, you know, American company selling to American customers, raising money from American investors. Uh, and also we made the decision to move ourselves as founders to the US. So that's, that was the reason for that decision. And, and I think in hindsight, it's been a good decision. I'm curious, as a founder who's also, as everybody can hear from Europe, what's the difference doing business like in the US compared to like Central and Western Europe? Yeah, I think it's an entirely, uh, it's a, it's an, as you can expect, it's an entirely different market. There's books and books and books that have been written about the differences culturally as well as market-wise. Of course, um, US is not one country, it's 50 countries, as you know, you'll often hear uh so there's a lot of learning you know even within the country um so for us the differences have been at every level like how we approach customers how we negotiate the willingness to pay uh, you know the expectations uh and then also when we go to the investor or you know the fundraising side it's also a very different um um i would say approach and you know generally a lot of times you'll hear founders say that the risk appetite is different. Like here, when we were raising early on, um, trying to raise our pre-seed investment from European investors, a lot of times the kind of questions we got were, 
uh, oh, you know, how much is your revenue? You know, how much did you do in your first year? Even before we built the entire product. And, and then we're like, look, this is a very early industry. The revenue is not the best indicator of a product um, or, or our potential because we, we're barely getting started. Whereas when we spoke to investors in the US, the mindset was more different. It was like, okay, what, what's your big vision? You know, what do you think this could be in the next five, 10 years? You know, prove to us, you know, that there's a massive vision and a potential in the market. Uh, and then, you know, of course, revenue will come, but then first you need to go out there and like figure out exactly where your product market fit is. So it's different approaches, um, both on the customer as well as the fundraising side. So it sounds like the fundraising is maybe not easier, but a bit more founder, founder friendly or understanding of like the typical VC model. How is it on the, on the customer acquisition side? Is, is the US like way more competitive? How is that? And how do you approach it there? That's a good question. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that specifically if I just focus on customer acquisition, that there's a difference. You know, to be honest, as a pre-product market fit company, our learning was more around how do we iterate on, you know, the customer profile or the initial customer of the ICP that we focused on. And and then what did we learn from that, you know, from those conversations we were having around the problem that the customers faced and then wanted a product from us for. And and then actually we had our own journey where we kind of first focused on developers who were building applications for charging uh, and then transitioning from there, actually a very, you know, significant pivot to focus on enterprise customers who were looking at much bigger uh, solution set, of course, also with a huge, uh, hugely significant, you know, willingness to pay, you know, all the way from maybe hundreds of dollars to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, so kind of like a big shift. So I, yeah, rather than framing it as a okay, differences between American and European customers, I think, I think for us, it's been more of a learning of who is the right customer for what we're trying to do. And having now got to a point where we are now, we're taking on all the customers, both in the US and also in Europe. In fact, we just signed up our one of our biggest customer accounts uh, out of the UK uh, in uh, just a couple of months ago. So, um, so, so, so now we're kind of seeing that happen on both tracks. If you need to hire the right developers and ship fast, then React Squad is for you. A boutique agency that specializes in React and only works with fast growth startups. Visit reactsquad.io to learn more. Amazing. Let's go back a couple of years. How yeah, did sure. you initially get into the founder scene? Like, what, what itched you to yeah. become a founder? And how? Tell us that story. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a pretty straightforward story, actually. Um, I, you know, I'm a chemical engineer by training. I was working in the semiconductor industry for about five years before I transitioned to clean energy uh, in a job uh, capacity. Uh, I was working, uh, I had a nice job. It was, I was leading operations for an environmental nonprofit, uh, working on pretty impactful issues like how to finance more uh, rooftop solar, how to promote more energy efficiency in buildings. So it was, it was a very, it was satisfying. It was impactful, but I felt that, uh, you know, uh, if I did not become an entrepreneur at that stage in my career, which was already, you know, maybe 10, 12 years of work experience, uh, I felt that I would never be able to do that. And then that was kind of like the initial impetus to kind of step outside of my comfort zone and look for something more risky. And and then, of course, I was supported by my family. And and then, and then I think it was more of a journey of, okay, what did I know? What was what were some of the exciting problems that, 
uh, you know, seem to be attractive enough to try and, you know, sink my teeth into and try to build a business around. So my first business was focusing on uh, uh, financing uh, rural migrants in uh, emerging markets in India and Africa. So specifically, uh, we were trying to raise uh, crowdfunding for decentralized microgrids. And uh, that was a business that did okay, but, you know, was not taking off or was not super exciting. Um, so around the time of the pandemic, uh, I closed or wound that business down and then transitioned into what we're doing now. I would love to double click on on the sure. on the start there because you you mentioned that it was quite straightforward, but I think a lot of the stories I heard and like we hear also in the media is like, yeah, I was in this job, I saw this burning issue, and I like I j that pulled me into being a founder. And I think a ton of people like I know personally just like also have the itch of becoming founders. So I would love to really dig in there, like how first of like how did you? notice that you had that drive of doing your own thing and then also was there a specific thing that happened that yeah kind of like mentally got you to the point of like jumping in there yeah it's, it's a great question um i would actually say that you know for me it was you know like falling in love slowly <laughs> rather than like you know waking up one morning and then realizing that uh this was my calling and that i wanted to do that I think I think it kind of what started off as okay. I would like to explore um, being an entrepreneur, uh, trying to solve a problem in a more tangible, hands-on way that I was already familiar with. So I, I think the problem was there, which was you know how do I finance or how do we um, as you know the society, but then also you know us as companies or me as an individual, you know contribute to a quicker transition to clean energy. So that was sort of the big problem I was working on. Within that, I was fascinated by how do you solve uh, the financing challenge faced by uh, clean energy projects at a micro micro scale in emerging markets. So specific challenge that was the one that you know I was working on in my job, and then. What was not satisfying for me was to do that in a capacity which is hands off, like in a job. You know, you're if if something doesn't work, you know, you you have limited stakes because you're kind of protected. You have your salary coming in. So I was itching to kind of get out there and then you know uh, feel more of a uh, a real world connection with the problem I was solving, and then also you know have a more tangible set of actions towards addressing it. So that was the you know jump into entrepreneurship. But I think. The surprising part was, you know, of course, it's a great journey of learning. I'm, of course, we're all still learning. It's been 10 years now and I'm still learning every day. Um, the, the thing that keeps me motivated now, you know, is every day you kind of experience a little bit more of that, that sense of agency, that sense of, you know, um, you're responsible for, uh, you're responsible for, you know, every day making contribution to the success of the company through people, through the team that you put together uh, by, you know, bringing yourself 100%. And even if you're not 100%, then, you know, kind of finding that strength in a, you know, in a core team. And then the team then goes on and does things that are much better than what you could have done. So I think, you know, there's a little bit of a, you know, virtuous cycle that kind of takes off at some point. And then that's what really keeps you motivated. Love that. And then let, let's jump to today. How big is the company? What's the revenue? What's sure. the headcount? Tell us everything. Sure. Yeah, sure. So, uh, like I said, we're enterprise SaaS. Uh, we now have uh, about 20 customers. Um, typically, customers 
you know, some of course uh, spend maybe thousands of dollars, but our big customers uh, are already well on their way to spend hundreds, hundreds of thousands of dollars per year with eDrive on software services. Uh, we're a team of 10 people. Uh, we're doing about half a million in revenue at the moment in ARR. Uh, so this year, last year we tripled, and then this year we're looking at triple again. Uh, so hopefully we close 2024, close to a million or slightly more uh, in revenue. Yeah, what more can I tell you? Awesome. So first of all, great to hear that you're up to the triple, triple, double, double route there. Oh, we'll see. I, <laughs> I bet, I bet. Um, what's the team look like? Like how many devs, how, how many people in like the, on the sales side, because it's enterprise sales, like what's the structure like? Sure. So we have two people in sales. So, so myself and a colleague, uh, one person in admin, one person in marketing, and then everybody else is an engineer. So four people in <clears throat> non-engineering and then six in engineering. Within engineering, uh, three, four, I mean, basically DevOps plus full-stack engineers. So, uh, so it's a pretty, oh, sorry, one DevOps, one customer success, everybody else is full stack. So that's the way uh, the engineering team is split up. Um, because our product, like I said, said, is enterprise. So of course the platform, reliability, all that stuff becomes very critical. Uh, we had our share of, um, you know, uh, nightmare scenarios with like, you know, the platform uh, suffering outages uh, two years ago. And then, and then at that point, we realized that we had to invest very early. Uh, in making sure that the platform was reviewed, secure, and all of that. So so that's where most of our uh, headcount is dedicated. Um, and then uh, we're now starting to build out our sales uh, team or sales engine, if you will. And, and then that's where a lot of our efforts are placed right now to enhance our marketing, enhance our sales, uh, just, just the outbound, just the approach for that. How do you think about that? Because I heard from a ton of people that the classical or the typical way of like sending cold emails, doing cold calls, getting leads, it's like getting harder and harder. So how, how yeah. do you think about GTM like, and how do you guys approach it? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think uh, no easy answers to that question. I would say our journey has been in, in that discovery of GTM um, in a previous iteration before our enterprise pivot. Uh, we tested with a developer-led GTM, wherein um, we put out a lot of our API documentation, guides, stuff for you know product managers, people wanting to build applications with charging. Um, and then we, we we saw some good success in getting a lot of inbound interest. A lot of uh, you know Google blessed us with a rel relatively high. SEO ranking because we were so unique in what we were doing and there's a lot of people well not a lot of people in a in a volume sense but a lot of specific people who wanted yeah. to exactly find the solution that eDrive was providing um, we transitioned from that uh, GTM approach to um, the enterprise focus realizing that many of the customers who found us that way as developers you know didn't have the potential to spend hundreds of millions of dollars in the infrastructure that's needed for our product to then be meaningful. So what that led to is uh, us kind of, again, transitioning our GTM approach to saying, okay, we, we will be more sales-led. Um, and we are sales-led, which is significantly enhanced and enabled by our developer documentation. So once we, once we reach out to a customer, they found us, 
you know, maybe we get people to trials, maybe we get people to just talk about and just, you know, hear about what eDrive is and, you know, can do. And then, you know, then we invite them into our documentation, we let them play with it. Uh, and then they experience the product and then they go, oh, this is very interesting. I can actually do stuff, you know, in a much better way than I could with uh, with another platform. And that's why then they kind of convert. So um, I'd say it's, I, I agree that GTM remains challenging. I think outbound is, is difficult. Um, one recent uh, discovery for us also was, you know, just thinking about which channels are working the best for us. So we found that actually webinars in our industry in this particular segment at stage have been a very effective tool for us. So we're significantly doubling down on that. And uh, because, because again, you know, in our minds, you know, our goal is like we need to convert maybe one customer a month, two customers a month. That's already huge because that's yeah. a huge investment down the road because um, more and more of them then will become the kind of enterprise accounts that, can be a huge source of revenue for us uh, in year two, year three. So um, that's the approach that is working for us right now. But uh, it's 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 a it's a moving um, yeah it's a moving target. Yeah, I really I love that you figured out that it's webinars and then double down because I mean it's not the sexy thing to do, right? Like it's twenty twenty four. No one's yeah. no marketers like oh yeah let's do a webinar that that's like super super fun. Um, yeah. But I think that's like the industry specific thing, right? And then it is. just one quick question because I have no freaking clue about uh, enterprise sales. Is the first step usually a paid pilot? Is it, uh, do they sign up immediately? Like, what's the, the first foot in the door in such an enterprise deal? Yeah, that's a great question and no, no standard answer. Um, maybe the best way I can describe it is to just talk about like what's worked for us in recent, I'd say last six to 12 months. Um, we, we do have paid pilots more and more now than before. Uh, so we're moving in that direction. In many cases, uh, what's worked for us is a, a customer came to us, we offered them a trial. Um, and then it was very important for the customer to experience the product and and then realize its value. And then and at that point, the other learning for us was also that not every customer is a is a is a good customer for the kind of product that we have. For example, like because it's a developer platform, a lot of customers came with the expectation that they wanted something ready-made, which is built already, and that they didn't know not want to do the work. They didn't have the DNA, they didn't want to because of a variety of reasons. And and then we were probably being a little bit more, you know, loose with our sales qualification. So um, so I would say as we have become more specific and more targeted in terms of, well, they're not really a good customer fit for us. So, so we should not try to push them down the same funnel and then try to get them to a trial and then they see something and then they kind of fall, fall, fall away because, you know, they're not really interested because they're not a good fit. So I would say that has helped us define the process better. And, and, and in fact, when we do that qualification better, we can sometimes even ask customers for a payment for a trial and, and then sometimes they're they're okay to do that. And and then sometimes the customer is so valuable that, you know, we offer a trial for free. So in short, I think it's, you know, the customer acquisition via trial 
you know, is not independent of sort of your SQL. And then if you do that, if you do the first part better, then you can actually get more out of, you know, what's in the middle of the funnel and so on and so forth. So again, that's our current state. And, you know, if you ask me next year, my answer will probably be different. Yeah. But, you know, that's that's where, I, that's where we are at the moment. No, but I love that because in the end, sure, we have to think in, in funnels and SQLs and trials, but, it, but for the other side, it's just the way they buy, right? So for them, it's just buyer experience. And if, if the thing you offer is like a better fit, then of course, a higher rate yeah. of them is, is willing yeah. to pay. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, because there's so many, there's so many both verbal and non-verbal cues, right? Like, you know, the classic thing that, you know, if you listen to any of the videos or podcasts from like YC or any of the, you know, hundreds of, you know, startup resources is like, you know, is there a hair on fire problem? And, and then, you know, if, if the customer is really desperate, I mean, that's as a startup, your energy should be focused on like finding those customers who are really desperate for what you're building and then kind of like build out from there. So, um, so I, I think, you know, it's, it, if, if we can iterate on that as a company and then keep doing that, then, you know, hopefully that motion should become more efficient and easier. And, um, because we're just finding the right customers and, and then our energy should be spent up front, making sure that we don't put the wrong kind of customer in the funnel because then we're wasting our energy. I fully agree and love it. So as the, the final question before we come up on time here. It's sure. your second startup, the first you you had to wind down before co like or oh, when COVID hit. What's the thing you do most differently the second time around compared to, to that first? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everything. I mean, I, I don't know. It's like um you connect the dots looking backwards, obviously. So the first startup, um, you know, if I if I knew then what I know now, you know, we never had product market fit. We were trying to uh We, we never really looked at, took a hard look at what the numbers meant, you know, in terms of what the business wanted to be, what would it take for that to be successful. Um, also, we never sort of tried um, to imagine what kind of a company it would be, uh, both in terms of like, what does it feel like? What does it look like? You know, where do I go to work? You know, what, what does my team look like? You know, what kind of you know, what do we do on a day-to-day -day basis? I think it's, it's it's funny. These things kind of sound pretty simplistic, but if you can actually put that, imagine that, you know, just mental picture. And then, and then, and then you, most importantly, you kind of share that with your team and with your co-founders. Uh, that's a good way to kind of set a direction. So I, I think both in terms of like just plain vanilla brass tacks of like, hey, you know, is this a viable business potentially? This is the kind of business that I want to spend like the next five, probably 10 years of my life doing. And then, and then, you know, does it align with my life goals, with my personal expectations, uh, both, you know, money wise, work life balance wise, all of that stuff. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a good question. It's a little embarrassing to say that. Like, I, I feel like I was just doing it all wrong. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, but to be honest, it's always when you look back, even a year, you're like, oh, I was so stupid back then. But the next year we will look back and it will be the same thing all over. Yeah, totally. Amazing. Pascal, thanks a ton for coming on. One last thing. Where can people out of the energy sector find you and your company online to get in touch? Yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, please uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, I have a fairly unique name. I think you'll post it in the podcast. Yep. So uh, that should be easy to find. Uh, on Twitter, Basker Deol, or on LinkedIn, or uh, visit edrive.io, so E-D-R-V.io. 
Um, yeah, love, love to have a chat if you're interested in clean energy. If you love to, talk, if you want to talk about uh, electric vehicles, electric vehicle charging, more than happy to chat. And we will make sure to link everything up properly below so that it's easy to find. Baska, yeah. thanks a ton, man. Thank you so much. Lovely to lovely to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Nicholas. If you like this episode, then you'll love the SaaS Operator, a weekly newsletter brought to you by Early Node, with actionable insights from SaaS experts in the industry delivered right to your inbox every Tuesday for free. Visit earlynode.com to subscribe.